Hello and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Natasha Kanova, Head of Global JP Morgan Commodities Research, and today we want to talk about food security. I'm joined by Tracy Allen, who heads our Agricultural Commodities Research at the bank, who just released our latest quarterly report with updated forecasts. Uh, Tracy, welcome. Thanks so much, Natasha. Um, Tracy, um, so food security. So clearly the food security concerns have been exacerbated since uh, the Ukraine caused seaports uh, due to the Russian conflict and exports from the world's fifth largest shipper of grains and largest exporter of sunflower oil were compromised indefinitely. But at the same time, you know, what we're observing and what we're seeing in the news is that there are shortages of popcorn in the United States. So there's a rationing on vegetable oil in the UK and Germany. Yes, in the supermarkets in the UK, you can buy only two bottles of vegetable oil. In Germany, it's only one. But at the same time, despite trading at historical highs in April and mid-May, most agricultural markets are actually trading at contract lows today. Uh, what is happening across the markets? Have exports normalized? How do you explain this price action? Yeah, Natasha, we're, you know, 100 days into the conflict in Ukraine. And as you point out, we've seen a tremendous erosion of not just risk premium across agricultural markets over the last fortnight, uh, but what I, I, I think is happening is we're actually seeing an erosion of fundamental fair value across grains, oilseed markets particularly, um, these are markets that are most uh, heavily influenced by trade flows out of Ukraine. And we've specifically seen corn prices gyrate sharply lower. We're, we're now only 5% above pre-conflict levels. Wheat prices about 14% above pre-conflict levels. And the, the, the BCOM, the Bloomberg Agricultural Index that covers the wider complex is just 6% above levels ahead of the conflict where we've had, you know, substantial volumes of global grain and oilseed trade flows taken off the market. But we've also had a structural step change in the cost of production from higher fertilizer prices. Now, what I think what is happening here is that we've seen a, a lot of speculative length unwind across the markets as we've, we've heard time and time again, uh, global leaders try and find solutions to the food security crisis that's unfolding from the point of view of high prices. The food security crisis currently is not one where we do see imminent shortages of grain or, or oil seeds for that matter, but nonetheless, the sentiment over the, the last fortnight has been such that world leaders are trying to do their best to open up humanitarian corridors of uh, Ukrainian food exports and mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Russia is opposed to doing so on the basis that they would essentially like to see sanctions lifted. Now, for, for our mind and certainly our house view is that it's very unlikely that we're, you know, we're going to see humanitarian corridors agreed to. Um, and the response of the market has been so sharp um, and, and prices are trading at such low levels that I think we're forgetting that in the best case scenario, of Ukrainian seaports opening up. It's still something that's going to take a minimum of three months to be able to open port zones and remove the scuppered vessels and the mines that are currently in, in mm -hmm. the, the port zones and that we're not going to solve the, the export constraints and that the huge mass of, of grain volumes are in Ukraine that is not going to be solved anytime soon. And that grain is certainly not making its way onto the market 
for our mind at least, over the next three to six months, best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tracy, thank you so much for that. Um, so you just released your June agricultural commodity quarterly report. Um, how has the outlook for agricultural markets changed over that quarter, considering we had this massive amount of events taking place from a very, very substantial producer of agricultural commodities, yet the price action speaks for itself? No, indeed, it is a very perverse time for agricultural markets, seeing this sharp sell-off and contract lows across corn and wheat prices particularly. And our our balances continue to point to historical low levels of uh, available tradable inventories uh, across global wheat and corn markets. Soybean markets are looking for expansion, uh, a slight expansion, 9% year on year, as we move into the 22-23 season, uh, beginning October later this year. Um, However, I think the main change uh, to our view through the course of the quarter, there there have been a few, but the the, the primary change is actually that we are in an environment of of La Nina now for longer. The weather, the the climate outlook has certainly altered. In March, the climate models were suggesting to us that La Nina was dissipating. Uh, We would see improved improved weather, which was more supportive of yield and and production prospects. Now we know that La Nina is lingering. It's now a risk for the Southern Southern Hemisphere crops, particularly South American crops going forward. Um, And and equally along those lines, you know, we are seeing sharply higher prices, we think, going into 2023. The, The most critical change in our view, however, is that actually it's very unlikely to see Ukrainian grain and sunflower oil export volumes normalize anytime soon. In March, we were perhaps we were hopeful or completely ignorant, uh, you know, hoping that there would be a resolution of conflict and a return to peaceful times in, you know, a three to six month period. But it's very clear that that's unlikely and that that the idea of humanitarian corridors um, are fantastic. They just feel like they're they're at least a couple of quarters away from from being a tangible solution to uh, very large grain inventories sitting in Ukraine. And so, you know, we're we're planting the corn crop. Um, it's in the ground. It's growing now. We're about to harvest the winter wheat crop in Ukraine. And and there are challenges amassing domestically in Ukraine, of course, because of these volumes rising. The other change over the quarter, um, as I said, is, has been this lingering weather situation. We've had a marked deterioration in, in US wheat production prospects. And so that has really drawn down global wheat inventories over the quarter. Elevated prices have really pulled back animal feed demand, which is the most sensitive component of, of demand across agricultural markets. Um, but even despite China's lockdowns, I mean, aggregate human food consumption, Natasha, has actually been quite resilient through the quarter. Right. Uh, Tracy, you mentioned about uh, historical low levels of inventories and your balances, and you said that soybeans, there will be an expansion of about 9%. Yes. What about corn and wheat? Yeah, indeed. So for the, for the point of view of the balances for, for corn and wheat, we are actually looking for um, another deterioration into the 22-23 season. Um, just in terms of, you know, aggregate volumes there, we're really looking for um, the likes of global, you know, global corn inventories to continue tr- contracting over the, the season ahead. Um, somewhere around 4 to 5% in aggregate globally. The contraction in the world wheat balance is probably looking a little larger for our mind, 5 to 6% year on year. 
Now, these numbers are, sm are small, but the most important takeaway here is that we're coming off already historically low exportable Correct. inventories. And, and mm -hmm. when we look at these world numbers, we must really strip out China's inventories because they do hold such a large share. And the problem is that um, not only, uh, you know, are exportable, uh, uh, exportable um, volumes of inventories low, the bigger challenge for my mind, at least for wheat, is that global importers hold such a low share currently of, of inventories. There just is not a large buffer stock available. And, and that's one of the reasons as well, I think agricultural prices have sold off so sharply recently that we haven't really seen an active consumer bid here in the market um, and, and importer. They, they typically wait for the new crop's arrival. So, you know, going forward, that's one of the other reasons why we have actually taken some of the heat out of our price forecasts uh, in the second quarter um, and, and really added that into the third quarter, fourth quarter of this year and then and lifted the the series of forecasts um, mm -hmm. up some you know between five and ten percent across the board into that 2023 season because of what we think is going to be rather immense restocking demand from the point of view of importers. Um, mm -hmm. But Natasha, the energy markets have also played a really significant role up until recently, at least in the the rise of agricultural prices, um, not just from a transportation and and um, fertilizer point of view, but you know, the energy markets have, have had their own share of risks to contend with and OPEC has just agreed and, you know, an increase in production through July and August. Um, you know, how do you see the outlook for oil markets? Thank you, Tracy, for your question. No, you're absolutely correct. So um, a, a lot of volatility in the markets, you know, the prices continue marching uh, higher. Um, so you're absolutely correct. OPEC yesterday announced it would increase. Uh, it would accelerate increases in, in production quarters in July and August. Uh, at least expectations in the market were that it will be about 430 uh, KBD per month of increases. Uh, but they announced that it will be at about 650. So at the same time, what is interesting is that they maintain Russia within its framework, despite all the news and reports we were seeing for otherwise the day before. Uh, what is interesting is that, in my personal opinion, it's kind of an abandoned approach because the decision does not represent a higher production quarter per sale later in the year. Uh, so very much what they did is they just put forward from September those quarters towards July. On the face, you know, clearly the numbers are large. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, 650 versus 430, that's, you know, that's, that, that's, that's an increase, substantial increase. But in reality, the additional supply likely to come back online is it's it's much smaller yes outside of russia where production is clearly unable to increase due to sanctions there are only a handful of other opec uh, plus members with spare capacity beyond what they are already producing today so those are four countries yes it's saudi arabia united arab emirates kuwait and iraq uh, and those are the only four countries that actually would be able to uh, to increase production so on net, when we look at our numbers, the increase actually will be only 160,000 barrels per day in July and 170,000 barrels per day in August. So these increases are not sufficient to make a difference for global oil balances, especially when demand at its, at its peak, yes, in the northern hemisphere in summer and China is reopening after two months of shutdowns. Um, so, in fact, what we're watching very, very closely is that uh, we, while we do believe that there will be only 1.5 million barrels per day of impact on the Russian production, for that to materialize, uh, China has to start 
picking up its buying, you know, its purchases from Russia. And we believe that actually China is capable to buy about additional 1 million barrels per day. So far, we see small signs that that's taking place. So China is still waiting. So that's what, you know, the main factor to our price forecast is actually will China step up its buying of Russian origin crude or not. And because of that, you know, clearly there's an upside risk to our prices. So for now, our baseline is that the prices will average about $114 in the second quarter. Uh, The months, uh, the peak would be a monthly average of about $122 in June. So clearly we can go way beyond those levels, yes, on a monthly basis on spot, spot, uh, spot levels. And then 104 uh, averages for the, for the full year of 2022. But where China to disappoint then we can see um, second quarter averages of about $122, so significantly higher, yes, about by $10 higher, and then about $118 in the third quarter and $105 uh, for the the fourth quarter. So we're watching very closely what China will be doing next. Um, So Tracy, moving from the energy markets back to your markets, considering, you know, many you know, feedback loops between those two sectors. The, how will energy markets influence agricultural markets over the months ahead, especially over the, you know, very, very important summer months? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time that we're seeing, you know, this upside risk, particularly for, for crude here. And, and I think more so for product markets, as, you, as you've been flagging and as you've been discussing on this podcast recently, the, the area that I'm finding most interesting for ags markets is certainly that, the, the cost of freight and the, the way that that's likely to, to drive, you know, trade flows from different countries and different origins. And I think it's really critical to think about in such a tight, you know, wheat exportable environment, particularly. The second area that I think is important, you know, is particularly for sugar. Sugar has been a reasonably stable market this year. Um, however, we've had a rather out of consensus view that actually stronger energy prices um, are, are very much likely to drive more cane from the Brazilian center sap harvest into the ethanol channels um, with, with strong ethanol demand uh, across the auto cycle this season, certainly relative to last year. Thus far, it's picking up and, and the view is seems to, to be playing out at least early through the, the start of the harvest here. We have a long way to go. Um, Fuel prices and certainly gasoline prices have been rising very aggressively. They haven't fully been pr- uh, passed on to consumers in Brazil just yet. And But as we know, despite that, um, ethanol prices are still historically high in Brazil currently. They're not quite competitive at the pump yet relative to gasohol, but we think as the harvest continues and as the volumes of ethanol continue, we think that there's scope for... Um, you know, certainly for, for ethanol to improve competitiveness there and to, to, to grow the, 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 the broad auto, auto cycle share of demand. Um, and so with that, we look for the, the share of cane to increase moving into, um, you know, certainly the ethanol mix. And, and we're likely to see a lower use of cane for sugar production and, and lower volumes of, of sugar production in Brazil and, and exports from that point of view. So Mm-hmm. Sugar was, in fact, one of the markets that we actually reduced our price for, uh, our price forecasts for um, this quarter. We've had a, a huge volume of production come out of India, record large cane volumes, um, where the government has really been driving very high prices and, and a lot of expansion there. Weather has also been favourable. Um, but still, we do see upside for the sugar market. We have a forecast of 21 cents per pound for the third quarter. 
finishing the year at an average of 22 cents per pound, um, you know, relative to, to levels across the curve currently, um, which, are, which are somewhere, you know, certainly below 18, 18 and a half cents there. Um, uh, and, and certainly coming into the third quarter, uh, the, the, the March contract, I should say, is really currently at, at 19.8 cents. So still um, upside from, from that point of view. Um, finally, fertilizer prices have come down in the last couple of months, but still remain about double the, the pricing level of 2019. So that relationship to global gas markets is still very critical for agricultural um, costs of production. And we think that that's going to be a, a structurally higher input cost longer. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, on, on that note, the title of your report is Stronger for Longer. Um, but, you know, there should be some downside risks and some upsides as well. So what, what are the main upside and downside risks as we stand today? You know, I think the, the main downside risk for agricultural markets here and now really is the opening up of humanitarian corridors out of Ukraine, mm -hmm. the, the movement of the physical movement of, of grain volumes. And we don't, you know, it's, it's not that we don't think this is going to happen. We're just flagging that if and when this does happen, and it's fantastic that things can open up, it's just going to take time. And mm -hmm. we note this because, you know, there, there is such limited forward coverage of physical grain out there currently and also futures coverage across grain and oilseed markets. This is something that will take at least six months in our mind. And then also to be able to move grain from our country on farm areas in Ukraine, it's not something that the, the logistics networks need time to be, um, you know, re replaced mm -hmm. and be, be normalised. Um, I think from the point of view of the, the main upside risk is we've been experiencing over the quarter, weather and, and further supply side disruptions are, are the main, um, you know, the, the main upside driver here in terms right. of, you know, taking prices back to even back to our base case levels before we even think about getting back to, to a high case scenario, Natasha. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you, Tracy. And the final summary of our conversation today, what is your highest conviction market across the commodities under your coverage? I would say here and now today, given the, the extensive sell-off that we've seen, you know, BCOM in aggregate, BCOM agricultural markets index, is just 6% above pre-conflict levels. There is essentially very limited to, to negligible risk or risk premium priced into agricultural markets today. It's also essentially reduced all the risk premium from adverse weather-related supply disruptions. Mm -hmm. um, personally, we still like looking at an index of exposure to agricultural markets, um, particularly one that gives broad exposure to grains and also oil seeds there. Um, in terms of highest convictions relative to our price forecasts, it is still very much wheat where we see serious uh, contractions in, in exportable inventories, equally corn and then followed by the oil seeds. Mm -hmm. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all to listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. We look forward to continue the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on June 3rd, 2022.